Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Before we get started, one quick announcement. Just wanted to let you guys know. It is time for families to sign up for Adopt an Aggie. If you're not familiar with that program, it's been going on for many years here at Grace. It's a ministry by which we we connect Aggies with families here in the church. Those families provide love and care and support for those Aggies while they're away from home. And in turn, those Aggies actually really bless our families as well. They provide great role models for our kids. They, They challenge us to think beyond just the immediate needs of our families. Really great program. It's meant a lot to many people who have gone through Grace Bible Church over the years. Right now, we need families. So before the students return, um, if your family would like to adopt one or more Aggies, we would love to talk to you. You can fill out an application. We'd love to have you join that ministry. You can find out on our website. If you just go grace-bible.org, you can uh, sign up to be a sponsoring family. We'll get you an application. Or if you want to just talk to somebody for more information, if you will call or email the church and ask for Rachel Presley. Rachel Presley can get you plugged into an Adopt an um, situation. So we'd love to have you do that. Well, this morning, I'd like to start with a principle, a proposition. Over the years of my life, I have learned that small things done consistently can have monumental results. Let me prove that to you. Let me give you an example. Small thing, um, many of us like to have a Coke or Dr. Pepper at lunch. But let's just say, just for the sake of example, uh, that you decide to give up that Coke at lunch for the sake of health or for finances. You give up the Coke or the Dr. Pepper at lunch each day. Um, Let's say that you do that starting today. What would be the long-term results of that decision? Well, um, each day that you give up the Coke or Dr. Pepper, you're saving about a dollar, more if you eat out, less if you bring it from home. And and it adds up to about 144 calories for a 12-ounce can of Coke or Dr. Pepper. So you start to make that little tiny sacrifice today. And let's say that you do it every day for a month. Well, that will add up to $30 you've saved and 4,300 calories. Those numbers are starting to get bigger. And, and let's say that you continue that small little sacrifice each day for a whole year. After 365 days, you have saved $365 and 52,000 calories. Now, let's, let's put that in perspective. $365, that's good money. You can buy something fun for 365 bucks and, and 52,000 calories. You probably have a sense that uh, that's a lot of calories. Um, just to put that in perspective for you, if you wanted to burn off that many calories, you would have to run for 4.3 days straight. Not sleeping, not eating, not going to the bathroom. Run for 4.3 days, bike for 5.7, or walk for 10 and a half days straight to work off those calories. Small things done consistently can have monumental results. Now, let's extend the time horizon. Let's say you continue to make this sacrifice for a long time. You start making it when you graduate from college. So at 22, you start to make this sacrifice of giving up that Coke or Dr. Pepper at lunch. You start at 22 and you continue until you retire at 65. Okay, so for your entire working career, you make this small sacrifice each and every day and you take that, that $1 a day, that $30 a month and you invest it into a mutual fund that's tied to the S&P 500. Okay, so you tie it into a mutual fund and over the history of that fund, it's our 9.6% annual rate of return. What would you have when you retired? Small little sacrifice you've made each and every day. What would you have at 65 $210,461. Now that's real money. You can buy a house with that kind of money. Give up the Coke at lunch and you get a house. That's a good trade. <laughs> Small things done consistently 
can have monumental results. That's the promise of our subject this morning, the spiritual discipline of gratitude. Gratitude is a very simple discipline. Small and simple compared to what we studied last week. Remember that? We studied uh, those disciplines of studying the word of God, memorizing it, meditating upon it. That's hard stuff. That's challenging stuff. Compared to those disciplines, gratitude is simple. You don't need seminary. You don't need a concordance. You don't need to memorize anything. Gratitude is simple. It is small. And yet it has had a profound impact on my life, probably more than any other single discipline, especially over the last decade. The discipline of gratitude has become the secret of my joy, the protector of my marriage, and the fuel of the fire of my passion for God. I cannot overstate the importance of this discipline in my life. That's why I've been really excited to share this discipline with you guys this morning. I want to start with a review. What are the spiritual disciplines? We talked about that last week. The spiritual disciplines are simply habits. Habits of body and mind that allow us to effectively cooperate with God's spirit in the process of character transformation. They're simply habits, and there's a lot of them that the Bible lists for us, that the Bible describes for us. Um, just a few. There's some disciplines of engagement like prayer and worship, service, and giving. These are habitual things that we're doing. And then there are disciplines of abstinence where we are habitually um, restraining ourselves from something. They include rest, fasting, solitude, and a whole bunch of others. And all of these disciplines that God gives us are essential. They are required. They are, the, they are our required part in the process of spiritual growth. You can think of it this way. To grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must practice the disciplines. You can't grow as a disciple without discipline. So they're required. Um, but we, we hopefully clarified last week for you, as, as important as the disciplines are, as essential as they are, there is nothing magical about them. These habits, these disciplines, these practices, they do not in and of themselves make you holy. They, they do not grow you like Christ. No, they can't do that. There's nothing magical about them. All the disciplines can do is make you available to the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who alone can mature you. The disciplines just make you available to him so that he can grow you in the likeness of Christ. So the disciplines are, are our required part in the process of spiritual growth. And this morning we're going to add one more discipline, another habit for us to practice, the habit or discipline of gratitude. And so let's start with a definition. What is gratitude? If you look up the, the English word gratitude in a dictionary, what you'll find is something like this, the state of being appreciative of blessings received. That's what gratitude means in English. And, and that's a good definition, but it, it doesn't quite line up. It doesn't quite capture all that the Bible means by the discipline of gratitude. So I want to look at it a little more carefully. There's two Greek words that you'll find in the New Testament that are translated gratitude or grateful. So two words in the New Testament to describe this discipline. The first is Eucharistia. And this word in Greek means an attitude of being thankful for the good things that God has done in one's life. So notice biblical gratitude is focused on God. It's, it's not just generic gratefulness. It's focused on what God has done for you. It's a response, an attitude that responds in thanks to God's goodness. 
And, and here is a, a classic place where it's used. Paul uses that word Eucharistia in Colossians 2. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Now, follow kind of Paul's logic here. What he's saying is that as you are walking in Christ, as you are going throughout your, your life in Christ, I want you to overflow with thankfulness, overflow with gratitude as you experience Christ in you, as he builds you up, as he establishes you, as he works in you. You should be constantly, that's the idea of overflowing. Gratitude should just be coming out of you. Thankfulness towards God should be your constant response to God's goodness. That's the first word that you will find in scripture translated gratitude. Uh, a second word that's commonly used in Greek is charis. And this word is really illuminating. It's really helpful because charis can refer either to our gratitude towards God or to God's grace to us. It's an interesting word. Sometimes it's translated gratitude. Usually it's translated grace. Interesting word because it can refer to either God's gift or our response. Now that's a little bit weird. Why did the authors of scripture use the same word to refer to God's gift to us and our response to God? Wouldn't it be better to distinguish those so you can keep them straight in your mind? Well, uh, no. No, it's better to tie them together with the same word because the authors of scripture want us to, to so associate our response of gratefulness with God's gift of grace that you use the same word for both because you, your response towards God is immediate. As soon as you experience his grace, you naturally instantaneously respond in gratitude. They use the same word for the gift and our response. And interestingly, we actually do in English as well. Tonight, when you sit down with your family at dinner, what are you gonna do before you eat? You're going to say grace. Have you ever thought about that phrase? Kind of a weird phrase, right? Say grace. What is grace? Grace is God's gift to you. How do you say that? Well, what we're doing in English is we're reminding ourselves God's gift, this meal, should so instantaneously inspire thankfulness in us that we can use the same word for both. God's gift and our response, grace, gratitude. Okay, so if you take these two words, you put them together, um, I, I think what the Bible means by gratitude is simply a conscious choice to continually thank God for his grace in our lives. Now, I, I kind of put this definition together really carefully because I want to emphasize three things that come out of those, those biblical words for gratitude. First of all, again, it's, it's thanking God. It's focused on gratefulness for what God has done in our lives. Second, it's continual. Gratitude is not a fleeting thing. It's not a once in a while thing. It's a constant response to God. And third and most important, it is a conscious choice. Gratitude is a choice. This is essential to get this right in our minds because we live in a society that regards gratitude as a feeling, right? In English, in, in American, gratitude is a feeling that is contingent on the value of the gift. And so if you give me a steak dinner, I will feel very grateful towards you. It's a valuable gift. If instead you give me a bag of ramen noodles, I'm not going to feel very grateful to you because that's not a very good gift. I'm sorry, it's not my fault. You should have given me something nicer, right? That's not biblical gratitude. Biblical gratitude is not based on a feeling. Biblical gratitude is based on a choice. 
to thank God for his grace in our lives, whether we feel grateful at that moment or not, regardless of how you feel, you make a conscious choice to thank God for his grace. So that's gratitude. But I I found if I really want to understand a biblical concept, often it's helpful to me if I study its opposite. If I spend a little time digging into scripture, discovering the biblical opposite of whatever I'm studying. So that's what we're going to do. I want us to look at what the Bible uses to describe the opposite of gratitude. What you might call antonyms, opposite words for the word gratitude. There's three that you'll find in scripture. Three antonyms for gratitude. Let's look at them for just a moment. The first antonym for gratitude is complain. You'll see that often in scripture. The opposite of being grateful is complaining. Uh, One example of where you'll see this is book of Numbers. You'll actually see it in multiple places in Numbers, but Numbers 11, verse 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. So the Israelites are complaining. Now, Now why? Why are they complaining? What's going on? Well, Verse four, the sons of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now let me give you a little background. The Israelites had spent hundreds of years in in cruel slavery in Egypt, beaten and oppressed. And they cried out to God. And so God sent a deliverer, a man named Moses. And Moses redeemed them. He delivered them from Egypt and led them to the land of Canaan, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. There's just one problem. Between Egypt and the promised land was the Sinai Desert. The the most inhospitable terrain on earth. If you don't bring food and water, you will die. And so as God's people enter the Sinai Desert, God supernaturally provides for them. He provides water gushing out of rocks and he provides manna. That's literally unbaked bread that fell from heaven. They would just reach out and grab it and then bake it every day. So uh, think about it. It's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, but for real. (laughs) Bread simply fell from heaven. You gathered it, you baked it. You had all the food you needed. Great, but after a few weeks, maybe you get tired of bread every day. The Israelites got tired of a diet that had no variety. And so they began to complain. They began to think back to the variety of foods they had in Egypt. All these interesting fruits and vegetables, all these incredible things. They wanted that variety, of course, forgetting the cost that that variety came at. Slavery, they forgot that. They just wanted the variety and lacking that variety, they complain. They complain against God and it kindles God's anger. Okay, now, before we can go further, um, there's something we have to look at with this idea of complaining. When I started to study this in Scripture, I was looking and cross-referencing this idea of complain throughout Scripture, and I found passages like this, Numbers 11, where to complain is a bad thing. When you complain, it makes God angry. It's bad. Um, But then I also came across passages like this in Psalm 55. This is David speaking to God. David says, give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked. For they bring down trouble upon me evening and morning and at noon. I will complain and murmur and he will hear my voice. Same English word, complain. But here it's positive. Here God hears it. David is confident that God will hear and respond to his complaining. But in Numbers 11, God gets angry at their complaining. What's going on? How can it be negative to complain in Numbers and positive in Psalm 55? Well, this is why we studied 
Bible study last week. This is why we studied that discipline. I did a word study and discovered it's one word in English, complain. It's two different words in Hebrew. Two different words in Hebrew for the idea of complaining. Both translated complain, but very, very different words. In Numbers 11, the word is anon. And anon means to complain as we mean it in English. It means to express discontent and especially to accuse God. That's complaining in the bad sense. Complaining in Psalm 55 is different. It is the Hebrew word siach. And siach means to lament, to, to mourn out loud, to express my sorrow. Both of those words, anon and siach, both translated complain in English. They both are talking about our response to pain. How human beings respond to difficult circumstances. But the, the siach of Psalm 55 is a response of dependent faith. As David complains to God, he is complaining out of dependence and out of faith. You see that as you continue to look at Psalm 55, starting in verse 16. As for me, I shall call upon God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain, siach, and murmur, and he will hear my voice. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me, for they are many who strive with me. David is lamenting to God. He is complaining to God, notice, because he believes that God will deliver him. He complains to God out of faith. He's complaining to God because he believes, God, you are the one and only person who can do something about the pain that I'm in. And God wants us to know that's good complaining. There is a good way to complain. When you are in pain, when you are in sorrow, if you do what David does and you turn to God with your pain, You're honest with your pain. You express your sorrow to God out of faith because you believe God is the one and only person in the universe who can do something about your pain. That's good complaining. The opposite is what we see in Numbers 11. The Israelites do not turn to God. They turn to one another. And they're not expressing faith in God. They're expressing disbelief. Can you believe how bad God is? What a jerk God is to bring us out here in the desert where we have no variety in our diet. That's bad complaining, anon. The reason that we need to carefully distinguish these is one is compatible with gratitude. The other is not. The reason that I want to really pull this apart and help you see this, a lot of us, when we think about what it means to be grateful, we fall into this trap of thinking that what God wants is for us to just put a smile on our face. God wants you to just suppress the pain, ignore the suffering in your life, and just wear a smile around all day. He wants you to to be happy. Don't worry, just be happy. That's not Christianity. That's not reality. God wants you to be truthful. God wants you to be authentic. When you're suffering, don't call it good. Don't put a smile on your face. Take your suffering to God. Pour out your sorrow to God. Be honest with him, but do so out of faith. You're going to God in your pain because you believe he is the one and only person who can do something good about it. God doesn't want you to live a Pollyanna kind of life. But when you are in pain, go to him. If you go to others and you go to others out of a a sense of ingratitude towards God, that's bad. That's the opposite of gratitude. That's the first biblical antonym, to complain to one another out of ungrateful, disbelieving hearts. Second antonym is to grumble. To grumble, you'll find that word often used in scripture. Um, To grumble simply means to murmur against someone or something. And it pictures that quiet, hushed, angry voice that we use when we want to pour out our complaints and bitterness to someone else. We all did this. We all grumbled when we were in high school sitting around the cafeteria table. Can you believe how much homework he gave us? So unfair. 
And I can't stand that girl. She is so fake. I can't wait to graduate from this place. I hate it here. That's grumbling. And that is opposite of gratitude. Third antonym that the Bible uses for gratitude is to forget. Turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Now, some of you in the audience, particularly guys, are like me and you forget lots of stuff. You forget lots of important stuff like names and dates and numbers. Fortunately, that is not at all what the Bible means by the word forget. That's not what God is talking about when he talks about forgetfulness. Look with me at Psalm 106. Let's start in verse 6. It says, We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Skip to verse 13. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Skip down to verse 19. They made a calf in Oreb. And worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their savior who had done great things in Egypt. Okay, now if you follow the story here. When it says that they forgot what God had done. You realize it's not literal forgetfulness. They're talking about the generation that God led out of Egypt. They watched as God parted the Red Sea, making the water stand up like a wall, and they walked through on dry land. That's not something you forget. You're going to kind of remember that for the rest of your life. So they're not literally forgetting it. What are they doing? They're choosing not to reflect on it. As they move forward in life and they experience new disappointments and new pain and new desires, they choose not to reflect upon God's faithfulness in the past. They choose to fixate exclusively on their desires and disappointments in the present. That's what the Bible means by to forget. It's not literal forgetfulness. It's a choice to not reflect and remember the grace of God in the past. Instead, you are consumed with your desires and disappointments in the present. That's the opposite of gratitude. So let's draw this together. If you take those three opposites and you flip them around to better understand what the Bible means by gratitude, biblical gratitude, first, it takes pain to God in faith. When you are suffering, when you are disappointed, when you are hurt, you go to God. You don't go to other people. You don't even go to yourself. When you feel disappointed, you don't pity yourself. You don't spin that around in your mind. You take it to God, not to other people, And most important, you choose to thank God for his past faithfulness. You choose to reflect upon what God has done for you in the past. That's what it means to be grateful. That's what it means to practice gratitude. Now, gratitude is a discipline. It is a habit that we are supposed to be practicing. So let's ask the natural, very practical question, when should we do it? When should we be practicing this habit of giving thanks to God? Let's go through this quickly. Gratitude should permeate. First, let's look at Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it's a passage about prayer. Be very easy to miss the biblical discipline of gratitude here, right? Because it's found in, in just two words, two really important words, with thanksgiving. In other words, if you want God to hear your prayers, if you want God to act upon your prayers, then you need to permeate your prayer life with thanksgiving. 
In other words, every time you go to God to ask him something, you should pause and thank him for something first. Thankfulness should just be part of your prayer life constantly if you want God to respond to your prayers. Second, uh, as we move further down Philippians 4, uh, the next verse, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What Paul is talking about here is, is your free mental time. Most of the day, you're having to focus on something. Maybe it's a class or a conversation or a meeting or a paper you're writing. You have to focus on something. Uh, Paul's not talking about that time. He's talking about the times in between. When you're walking down the hallway, when you're driving your car, when you're waiting for your computer to boot up, when you have free time with your brain, Paul's talking about what are you going to do with that time? Paul wants you to focus it on praiseworthy things. In other words, on things that are worthy of praising God for, thanking God for. Paul wants you to spend your free mental time in gratitude, giving thanks to God. In other words, when you get in your car, don't just turn on the radio. Take a moment, pause, and give thanks. When you're walking down the hallway, don't just surf on your phone. Spend a moment thanking God. Gratitude should permeate our thought life. Third, turn to Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm having you turn to this because for you who are parents, this may be the most important thing you see this morning. Deuteronomy 6 is worth putting a bookmark in your Bible or underlining it. We're going to start in verse 20. Deuteronomy 6 verse 20. It says, When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What do the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments mean, which the Lord our God commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us from Egypt with a mighty hand. Moreover, the Lord showed great and distressing signs and wonders before our eyes against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in to give us the land which he had sworn to our fathers. So the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always and for our survival as it is today. In other words, parents, gratitude should permeate our family life. Whenever we gather with our kids, we should be models to our kids of gratitude. We should be reminding them of all that our family has to give God thanks for. We should be reminding them of what God has done in the past for us, what God is doing for us in the present. Our family time should be characterized by giving thanks. We need to model that to our kids. Finally, Philippians 2, 14 to 15, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Paul is talking about this place. When we gather with the family of God, when we gather with one another, let us gather, let us speak, let us interact without grumbling, without complaining, In other words, gratitude should permeate our church life. When we are with one another, our conversation should always be about things we're thankful for. That's how the world will see the light of Christ among us, is if we are grateful people here. Okay, so you add that up. God wants this discipline of gratitude to permeate our prayer life, our thought life, our family life, our church life. That's pretty much your whole life. Gratitude is all-consuming. God wants us to continually, constantly be thankful people. And so that begs the question, why aren't we? Why aren't I? 
Why am I not a more grateful person? Why am I more likely to complain to other people than to express thanks to God? It's, it's not because God hasn't been good to me. It's not God's fault here. God has been incredibly gracious to me. He gives me nothing but grace. So why am I not a more grateful person? Why am I not more frequently turning to God and gratitude? Why do I find gratitude to be such a hard thing for me? Three reasons why gratitude is so hard for us. First, because by nature, I'm ungrateful. By nature, human beings are ungrateful. It's just something we genetically inherit. Parents, let me ask you, do you have to teach your children to be ungrateful? No. They come hardwired for that, right? Whining is built into human DNA somewhere. Children know how to be ungrateful. We have to teach them the opposite. We have to teach them to say, please and thank you. Because ingratitude is natural to us. Whether a child or a 36-year-old man who has walked with the Lord for many years and is so blessed and is so often shocked at how I can fixate on things that disappoint me, forgetting all of God's grace and choosing to complain. I am by nature ungrateful. That's the first reason gratitude's hard. Second, it's hard because it requires a sacrifice. Why do we complain when we're hurt or disappointed? Well, ultimately because it feels good. It does. It feels good. When, when I'm disappointed by something, when I'm hurt by someone, it feels good to complain to someone else. It, if, at least for a short time, it feels like a bandage on the wound. I, I, I really like a pity party when I'm the guest of honor. It, it feels good to complain. So gratitude requires a sacrifice. I have to be willing to sacrifice my right to self-pity, my right to complain, my right to feel sorry for myself. Gratitude requires sacrifice. And third, it's hard because we live in a culture of complaint. Complaining is as American as apple pie. We complain about everything. Our spouses, our kids, our jobs, our cars, the traffic, economics, finances, politicians, sports teams. We complain about everything. You see that if you just turn on the TV, watch reality TV, like especially one of those shows like Survivor or Apprentice, something like that. At some point in the show, in every episode, the directors get each contestant alone in the room and they interview them. Now, what, what characterizes, what dominates those interviews? Do you ever hear someone say, oh, I'm, I'm just so grateful that Mary is on our team. She is such a, a blessing to us, always so nice. I'm, I'm so glad that you put Joe in charge of our team because he's so, he's so smart, he's so wise. I have so much to learn from him. Now, I don't know if anyone has ever said that, but if they have, the directors cut it because that's not what America wants. We want the bitterness. We want the jealousies. We want the envy. We want the complaining because our society feeds on complaint. Gratitude is incredibly hard for us. It goes against the grain of our inborn nature. It goes against the grain of our society and it requires us to make a sacrifice. It is hard to practice gratitude. So that leads us to the next question, which we're gonna just fly through for lack of time. If gratitude is so hard, why do it? Why should I practice this discipline of gratitude? It requires a sacrifice. No one else is doing it. Why should I? Why should we practice gratitude? Let me answer that by showing you biblically the, the results of this choice that you face, either to give thanks to God or to complain. What are the results of this choice as we make it? Um, first result that I'll, I'll give you, I, I looked through my theology books. I looked through all of my stuff to find really the, the most lucid, clear explication of why we should practice gratitude. Um, and I found it in this really deep book in our children's library. 
called Counting Blessings. Checked out last week by Debbie Boone. Let me read just a, a, a bit of this to you. I read these a lot these days. So I'll, I'll do this in my best voice for you, just like you're Luke and Gracie. Got a little boy under a tree and he says, I'm happy. Do you know why? Because I've discovered the secret of happiness. Uh, do you want me to tell you? Do, do you? Do you want me to tell you? Okay. All right. Okay, it gets to it in the middle of the book. Here's the deal. Think about things that make you sad and you'll be sad. Think about things in your life that make you happy and you'll be happy. And it's as simple as that. If you focus on things that you are thankful for, it cultivates happiness in your life. That's just how God designed you. When you focus on good things, it helps you to be a happy person. When instead you focus on that which you are ungrateful for, when you pour out complaints and bitterness, it makes you in general a sadder person. From the mouth of babes, simple lesson. We learned it in kindergarten. We're still struggling to practice it today. Cultivate happiness through practicing gratitude. Uh, Second reason to practice gratitude, because gratitude grows our faith. Psalm 63, David says, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to your right hand, and your right hand upholds me. David is just being grateful. He's reflecting upon how God has upheld him, protected him, provided for him. And look at the result, the second half of this passage. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. In other words, by being grateful, David has strengthened his faith. By practicing gratitude, he reminds himself, I can trust God. God is going to defeat my enemies and uphold me. Gratitude builds faith. In contrast, What happens when you practice complaining? Exodus 16, on the 15th day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're reflecting back on how good they had it in Egypt, sitting next to pots of meat, full plates of bread, Notice the timing. It's about six weeks since they've been delivered. Six short weeks and what have they forgotten? That when they were sitting next to that pot of meat, they weren't eating it because they were baking bricks and they were serving Pharaoh. As long as the sun was up, they were working. And if they didn't work, they were whipped and their children were killed. They have forgotten. They have lost all sense of perspective. What that shows us is that when we complain, it gives power to lies. Gratitude empowers faith. Complaining empowers lies. It clouds our minds. We lose all sense of perspective when we give in to complaint. Third reason why we should practice gratitude because it motivates our obedience. In Deuteronomy, there is a common refrain that God uses. He gives a command to his people and then he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this thing. In other words, God knows if my people are to obey, I have to remind them of what I've done for them already. If they will just reflect upon my grace, upon my goodness, upon my gifts, then they will find that my commands are not burdensome. They are light. They are easy if they will practice gratitude. Gratitude motivates obedience. Ingratitude, complaining, excuses sin. See that in Psalm 106, we looked at it earlier. Because they have forgotten the Lord, they have forgotten what God has done in the past, they made a calf in Oreb and worshipped a molten image. They commit the biggest sin of all in the Old Testament, idolatry, because they had forgotten. 
they had complained. They had given in to ingratitude. When we choose to complain, it becomes an excuse for sin. You'll see this in every part of your life. I don't have time to give examples today, but if you look at every part of your life, you will see often the sins I give into, I'm giving into them because before that I had complained. I had given into ingratitude and discontentment rather than practice thanksgiving. Finally, fourth, practice gratitude because it brings God's help. You saw that in Philippians 4. You pray with thanksgiving and what does God do? He shows up. He gives you peace. He takes care of you. He watches over you. He answers your prayers. In contrast, when you choose not to give gratitude to God, Numbers 11, the rest of this passage I didn't share with you earlier, the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So God's people complain. God gets angry. And what does God do? He pours forth fire from heaven that burns a bunch of the camp that they're living in. He executes many of his people because they had complained. Later, uh, people complain again. God shows up this time, not with fire, but with a plague. Executes 14,700 of them because they complained. In other words, when God's people complain, it makes him angry. Really angry, actually. There's few things biblically that make God more angry than hearing his own people complain. We who have received such grace from God, such goodness from God, whom God's own son died for, when we complain, it makes God angry. And God shows up in judgment, in discipline. He disciplines us and judges us when we complain. So I hope you see, um, gratitude is hard, but it's worth it. You, You really do want the things on the left, not on the right. Gratitude is worth the sacrifice. Your life is blessed. Your life works when you practice gratefulness. When you don't, life is going to get very difficult and very painful very quick. And so, almost out of time, but let me end with some application. Now that we know that gratitude is worth it, how do we actually do it? This hard thing called gratitude. How, practically speaking, can you grow in this discipline of gratitude? I want to run through for you really fast four practical steps. You can just choose one of them this week to practice. These are either things that have meant a ton to me or a ton to people that I know and care about. Um, Many of us keep a gratitude journal. It might just be part of your prayer journal or your personal journal. Um, You just set aside some pages to list everything that you are grateful for. Maybe under a heading like spouse, list everything I'm thankful for there. Kids, list everything. Job, list everything. Um, That becomes a great uh, reminder to you when you're having a bad day, you can flip back and look at all the things that you're grateful for. Actually, the best thing that I have found um, when I'm having a really bad day, like for example, if there's a day that I just really um, wish I didn't have this job. I have a great job, but every once in a while you're going to have a day, even with the best jobs, where you really hate it. On that really bad day, what do I do? I go home and pull out my journal. I start with a fresh sheet. And I list, I make myself, even though I don't feel grateful, I make myself list the top 10 things I like about my job and guaranteed by the time I get to number five, I've forgotten what frustrated me. Gratitude is God's solution to frustration. So gratitude, practice that. You can keep a gratitude journal. Second, you can keep an encouragement box, just a a box that you, uh, if you're a girl, you might decorate. Uh, Guys, a shoebox will do just fine for us. (laughs) Um, just, it needs to be big enough to put a letter in, a postcard in. So as people send you things that encourage you, an encouraging note, don't throw it away. Put it in your encouragement box. Then on a bad day, 
flip that top open and be encouraged. Remember all that you have to be grateful for. Um, I had a, a gratitude box. Now I actually have a gratitude email box because I live more of a digital life. People don't send me letters anymore. They just send me an email. And so I have literally, that's my, my inbox. Uh, I have a, a folder called encouragement where I drop encouraging emails. And when I'm having an awful day, open it up. And there's God's reminder to me of all that I have to be grateful for. Third thing, keep a or create a gratitude scrapbook. This one is especially good for families. Okay, so if you have kids, I know some families who have had incredible effect from this, uh, from this particular practice. What they'll do is maybe once a year or every six months, they will create a gratitude journal for their family for that year. And what they'll do is just, there's a number of pages, you know, in a, in a scrapbook and you open it up and you give each child, each member of the family a page. And, and you tell them, go take the next evening or the next week and decorate your page with things that remind you of all the things you're happy about and grateful for from this past year. So uh, a kid might cut out a good test grade and glue it there. He might put a, a ticket stub from a, a show that he really enjoyed or he might put pictures of him with his friends or whatever it might be. Each child fills it up with things that they're grateful for and then you get together a, a night later or a week later over dessert and each family member shares their page. Then you put it together, click it shut, put it on the shelf, and you have just taught your kids the discipline of gratitude. Really, really powerful when you do that as a family. Finally, I encourage you to find a gratitude mentor. I encourage you to find somebody in your life, maybe further down the road, maybe a really sweet lady or man who's further down in their lives who, who are just a model of gratitude. doesn't mean that they're always happy, but it means that they choose to express thanks. You see them continually focusing on the things that they're grateful for. Spend time with that person. Take them to lunch and ask them, man, how do you practice gratitude so well? I know your life is hard. How do you focus on these things that you're thankful for? Let their gratefulness rub off on you. It will. Gratitude is contagious. Let it uh, rub off on you. So as you spend more time with a gratitude mentor, on the flip side, (laughs) spend less time with those people in your life who are constantly complaining. Now, you can't necessarily cut them out. You might have a constant grumbler in your family or at the office, but you can draw boundaries about how much access you give them to yourself and to your family. Limit the amount of time you give that person because their ingratitude is contagious too. Okay, so four ideas. Just choose one of them this week. One practical idea that you're going to begin to practice, to grow in this discipline of gratitude. It's a small thing, but if you will do it consistently, I promise you it will change your life. It will transform you just as it has me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that the discipline of gratitude is possible because you are a gracious God. We can be grateful because you have given us a limitless grace. We thank you most of all for the grace in your son, Jesus that he died for our sins, rose from the dead and offers us eternal life as a free gift. We pray for any person in this room who has not yet received that gift. We pray that this morning might be the moment when you open their eyes and help them to see that you are a gracious God who loves them and offers them forgiveness and eternal life as an absolutely free gift. All they need to do is just receive it in faith. Just believe that Jesus really did take their punishment and in their place that Jesus did die for their sins and rise from the dead. We pray that you would bring them the gift of eternal life this morning. And for all of us who have received that gift, Lord, we pray that your spirit would grow us in gratitude. Help us to become more and more grateful people. 
I pray help us to walk out of here with one practical idea in mind, Lord. Help us not to just let this be an academic exercise, but do change us and transform us, Lord. Help us to be grateful people through the power of your spirit. For the glory of your son, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a grateful week.